Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today on the show, I have my good friend, Melissa Milani. Melissa is a, a recent Boston Marathon finisher, 2018 Boston Marathon, which will go down, as many of you know, um, as just an epic race. And I've known Melissa for uh, for a while before that, and uh, she really is an incredible uh, runner, mom, um, doctor, as we find out in the podcast, Dr. Melissa Milani, as I should say. She's also a speech pathologist. She works as a nutrition coach. Basically, she does a whole lot of stuff. And we spend a good portion of this show talking about how she uh, goes about structuring her life and her day to get all these things done and to do them all well. And uh, we also talk um, not only about the race, but how she prepared for it, how she's learned from other marathons as well. She's also um, an active cross trainer. She does a lot of lifting. She does bar. And uh, we also touch on some of her past. So she... um, had a difficult first marriage uh, when she was younger, and while that uh, marriage was uh, was abusive mentally and emotionally for her, it kind of drove her away from running for a while. And we talked a lot about that, uh, and I really appreciate Melissa's uh, frankness and candor on a difficult topic, but a topic that I know that affects a lot of people. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Melissa. You can also follow her on Instagram at is a marathoner. That's I S A marathoner. Uh, she is a fantastic follow. Also, if you like the show, please give me a rating and review on uh, on whatever podcast platform you're using. I know most people listen to this on Apple Podcasts. A rate and review definitely helps the show. Helps us me get the show out there, and I want as many people to listen to this show as possible. That's for sure. So at least uh, as many people who would want to listen to the show, I should say. But I do uh, I do appreciate everyone who listens right now. Uh, the notes that I get really do warm my heart. Um, I know for, for most people, it's not about the host. It's about each guest that I have on here. And, and even when I hear great things about the guests, it really, uh, it really is nice. I know I always forward them to each guest who's on the show, and I know that they appreciate it as well. So thanks you, thank you, everybody. Uh, it really is warmly received, and I hope you like this episode with Melissa Milani. Hello, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast, Melissa, and thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. I know we booked it actually a couple months ago. We were talking about the Boston Marathon, and it was actually uh, at the time I didn't realize that I was going to meet you in person before we actually recorded the show. I know. That was such a great meetup. Thank you for hosting that. It was so fun. It really was. It, it, was, uh, it was nice to see. It's funny when you – I really haven't experienced the whole like meet people online before I meet them in person type deal yeah um so that's always kind of an awkward situation right like you're always like wow that one <laughs> person's taller or shorter than i imagined or you know it always it always like never quite quite works out the way you hope but um it definitely was a lot of fun that's for sure yeah i had a great time i would say that the meeting people in that particular meetup was aside from like the finish line was the highlight of the weekend honestly it was so fun oh good that's good to hear and it was uh it was um you have that that situation, right? When I mean, you're in Boston, especially for people who are traveling from farther away to go to a destination race, whether it's Boston Marathon or whatever, that you have that that push and pull of you want to experience this, you know, the new surroundings and the, the city and it, everything it has to offer. But at the same time, you obviously you want to save your legs for race day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There were a couple times even throughout Sunday that I'm like, I should go, I should go back to the hotel. I should do, I should do this. I should sit down. Cause, and you know, your mind the day before a marathon is not, you know, in its best state. So, but yeah, it's that constant, like, I want to socialize. I want to go to every shakeout run and meet up, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> I know. Right. Like the ideal meetup is probably at a place that has like rows of pedicures. Right. <laughs> Right. Okay, so I mean, that's like, what we need to do next year. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like for, for men and women both, it's like just pamper my feet because I'm about to beat the crap out of them. <laughs> no. So, well, first of all, thanks. Like I said, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited. And part of the reason that I'm really excited to talk to you is we have, uh, we actually share something in common. We're both early morning runners. 
So, so let's, I just want to break it down. So you are a mother of three. You Mm -hmm. are a speech pathologist. You also have, um, you can have like a, we can explain this further later. You kind of like a nutrition job as well. And Mm -hmm. you're an early morning workout person. I want, I can't just say runner because you do more than just run. Um, (laughs) so that, that requires quite a lot of juggling. So for you, what, what allows you to stay consistent with your athletic pursuits, considering all the other things that you're trying to do? Um, you know, it's funny because that question has come up a lot just in the last week from even like friends locally. They're like, okay, I want to, I want to get back into it, but how do you stay consistent? And, um, I think number one, my personality, I'm just very goal oriented. And if I set out to do a task or achieve a goal, and especially if I have a plan, like, okay, this says run this number of miles today or do this, um, I'm going to do it because it's going to drive me crazy. If I don't do it, I can't like half ass anything. It's It's the whole ass. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I can say that on here. I probably should have asked. No, but... that's no, that's great. That's great. <laughs> Um, so I think that the personality has a lot to do with it, but as far as like, then when you add in the scheduling and everything else that happens, if I don't get it done first thing in the morning, there's a very strong chance it's just not going to happen because of my job or the kids or just life, you know, then you come home and you're tired and. I mean, even the most dedicated and disciplined people at the end of the day, when you're exhausted, if you've got a tougher workout or something that it can be easy to just say, forget about it. One, one day is not going to hurt, but I know you've talked about this in other episodes too. I feel like that's a very slippery slope and I've done that before where one day becomes two, two days becomes three and all of a sudden you're like, oh, what's happening? So I just, I make a decision like, this is it. I'm going to do this. This is my plan and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. So you brought up two, two interesting things there that I want to touch on. First thing, have you always been that goal oriented, 100% committed, not half ass, the whole ass type person? (laughs) Or is that something that like, as you picked up more and more responsibilities that you've kind of had to evolve into that? I think it's actually a little of both. I've I've always been very focused and driven and a self-starter. I've always juggled a lot, even, you know, like looking back over years, like from a teenager and all of that. But um, I will say that I think that having kids makes me more so to that just because I want to lead by example. I don't want to tell them you need to do this when I'm not you know, walking the walk here. So I think it's a little bit of both. I will, I, I will say again, I'm, I'm competitive too. So that adds into it where if I see somebody, especially somebody that I might train with regularly, um, kind of just killing it, I'm like, okay, it's on, we're going to do this. (laughs) So I think it's a little bit of both. Absolutely. And then you also had that, that aspect of, like you said, it's like if you don't get it done in the morning, it's just not going to get done. So it, that's, I mean, I mean, shoot, it's, it's nice to have options in life. But sometimes by not having an option, it kind of sets you up to, to make sure you get it done, right? I mean, it's like yeah. I remember, you know, I, I played college basketball and then I coached it. Where it was like even when, when I was playing or when I was uh, advising players, like their academics for a lot of kids were better during the season, because it was like, all right, I have to do my work between these this two-hour span. And if I don't, screw Whereas, like, if they're out of season, they had all day to get it done. And then, like, all of a sudden, your, you know, your procrastination, you know, reflex comes in. And then you just keep pushing it back and back and back. And then it's easy to just kind of just kind of come off the rails a little bit. No, it's so true. It's so true. And, you know, people say that a lot. Like, oh, you have so many things that you know, you manage on a day to day, how do you do it? And I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's time management, number one, but number two, because I have so many things, I'm able to get so much done, because that's exactly right. If I have a day that's a little bit lax, I, I am not nearly as productive. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the hard part with that 
is making it so it's sustainable from a sleep perspective. You know, oh, and I know yeah. that's something that I have, I have kind of come to the realization very recently that I, I think I've just been like sleep deprived for like yeah. months on end <laughs> here. Um, and, you know, I was read, I was listening to a really interesting podcast. I actually listened to it twice. I'm traveling for work. So I was in the car for uh, eight hours today. Um, so I was listening to a bunch of podcasts. I was listening to the Joe Rogan episode with Matthew Walker, who's a neuroscientist who specializes on sleep. And it was so interesting. And he's basically spent all this time talking about like, if he's not, if you're not getting a minimum of seven hours that, you know, they listed all these, you know, internal brain um, dominoes that start to fall. But just from an athletic pursuit perspective, it was very interesting. The stuff I heard, I'm like, all of a sudden I start connecting the dots in my own life. I'm like, oh, wait, I wonder if that's what caused this to happen, then that to happen and this to happen. And it really can be a struggle for some people, especially if like, going to bed early isn't your jam. Oh, and you're, you're so right. And the, the problem is cumulative. So, you know, if you get in that pattern and that's something I definitely struggle with, I always, um, I talk about that a lot actually at home just to say, I've got to go to bed. I've got to go to bed. I, I can't, you know, stay up till midnight and get up at four, but you start to, you know, have all kinds of other issues. And that was actually one of my new year's goals was, try and get, I don't know if I can get eight hours because when you get up that early, getting eight hours is challenging with kids, but I'm trying to get at least six, try, really trying. And I know that that's still not enough, especially when you're pushing your body physically to the limit, but it was like, okay, that's a, that's better than four, which is what I've been doing for a long time. So yeah, it's so important. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because one of the things that they mentioned was that it was um, it, it's, it's effect on your cardiovascular system, um, you know, in terms of like doing long runs and maybe not hitting um, certain times that you would expect. And then also at the same time, not as if like getting seven or eight hours is the baseline. Like you get that, like you see the positive benefit. It's not like you were just working from a negative standpoint. You can actually enhance your uh, athletic ability, even just like the night before race, getting more sleep. It was, it was very, yeah. very interesting. It would, it would, I, I'm putting it in running terms. They, they presented it in terms of just general athletic performance. But I was like, I was blown away by this thing. I can't recommend it highly enough. But it was also one of those situations where you, th- you think back and you're like, oh, wait, like, I wonder, if they, did I get injured because of that? Or then you start saying like, oh, I, you know, I, man, I really didn't hit my speed session the right way. And I couldn't figure out why. Like, was it for this obvious reason? And then you mentioned the other point is that like, the cumulative effect is, um, is, you know, it was also an interesting piece to kind of dive into because it's hard to, you know, identify exactly what, what, it's, what its effects will have in part because everyone trains differently, but that has to have that cumulative effect as well. Yeah, no, definitely. It definitely does. So for you, you're super busy now. When did, when did running kind of become part of your life? Um, cause obviously it's a big part now cause you 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 put a lot of time and effort into it and you make you, you carve out a chunk of your morning you know from 4:30 to 5:30 um which uh we all would prefer to be sleeping so it obviously <laughs> is a big deal to you so when did when did it become that well um i ran like off and on when i was younger and then i stopped and um i was pretty actually pretty sedentary for a while and then I had kids and when my my first son was an infant you know I'd say you know not a newborn but probably like six months old I started trying to do a little bit more maybe go to yoga do things like that but I honestly I hated running I didn't like it at all I'm asthmatic so it's not easy and it took I mean, it takes people a long time to kind of get acclimated to running anyways, but it took me a lot longer. But what the the tipping point for me was when I went back to school to get my PhD, you know, when you finish that or the, the ending few semesters, you're writing a dissertation. And I sat in my computer chair or my couch or whatever with my computer for what felt like hours on end every day for about six months. And when that was finally done and I hit submit to the editor for the final, final copy, it was like, that's it. I can't believe this day has come. I spun my chair around in the office and I looked at my husband. I was like, I'm going for a run. 
and we had a treadmill that someone had given to us in um, our, it was like a, a pool house on our property. And so he was like, what? It's like 930 at night. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going on that treadmill. And it was the same time of year that the princess half marathon had been run. And so I'd seen a bunch of my friends on social media posting about this. And I was just it, like totally amazed that these people that were the same age as me were out there running voluntarily 13 miles. It was just kind of like, what the heck? And then I couldn't even do like a quarter mile, half mile, whatever it was. It was very, it was very short. And again, that whole like competitive nature, like, okay, that's it. And so that night on the treadmill, I posted on my Facebook that my next goal was to do the princess half marathon the next year. And I downloaded the couch to 5k app and I just set it as a goal. And I had no running gear. I was in a, like a cotton t-shirt and <laughs> like shoes from Kohl's, like no idea what I was doing at all. And, but that's, that's kind of where it started and it just snowballed from there. Now, did you need a big audacious goal to, to stay consistent? Was that like, did, did that come with the territory? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, because to, if it was just, you know, to try and do two miles or a 5k, I had done a 5k before. Um, so I knew that wasn't like necessarily kind of like check the box on that. It was this 13 miles. Like that just seems mind blowing to me at that time. Like that was, that's just not possible. Um, and so that, yes, I wanted that like, okay, that's the top of the mountain. I had zero, zero interest in a fall at that point. <laughs> and even for a while after that, it was like, no, no, I'll do the half and be fine. <laughs> so do you, were you spurred on or motivated be, because that first run was bad? Like if that first run say had unexpectedly gone well, I don't know why it would have if you weren't running a lot, but let's just say <laughs> it did. Do you feel like you would have been as motivated or is that not really a connection point? No, that's a good question. Um, I'd have to say I probably wouldn't have been as motivated because that that is something that drives me. If I'm not good at something or if someone tells me I can't do something, I'm going to do it. Like that it just it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when it's going to happen. <laughs> so I think that I think that, yeah, if that first run had gone well. Maybe I would have settled for a 10K or something. But I mean, it, it didn't. <laughs> right, right. And uh, also, do, do I have to start calling you Dr. Milani now? I, I'm calling you <laughs> Melissa. I want to make sure I'm addressing you in the right way. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I'm just totally kidding. It's so funny when like some of my former students will see me and in the community and they're like, oh, Dr. Milani. I'm like, please, it's Melissa. It's <laughs> That's great. That's great. And, and are most are most speech pathologists doctors? Is that how that industry works? No, you do have to have a master's degree, um, okay. but you do not have to have a doctorate. No, Got again, it. over overachiever here. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and what, if you don't mind me asking, what what population do you work with? I know most for, for speech pathologists, it's almost usually you know the quite young or the quite old. So I get to. I'm very lucky. I get to work with a bunch of different ages. Um, I have a private practice and I have a client as young as five and a client as old as 20 in my, my like daily caseload. But I also do consulting for individuals that have complex communication needs or individuals that can't use their natural speech. So the most famous is Stephen Hawking um, or was, I should say. And, um, so I get to work with all ages, all diagnoses. Um, you know, I've got kids with autism. I've got adults with ALS, um, you know, people that have had their larynx removed for various reasons. And so they're just not able to speak. So it's, it's a very, very, um, wide variety for me, at least that's, that's not the norm I would say, but I like it. I like having all different clients and ages. Right. And it sounds like the kind of job where you, you have, you, you invest a lot of time mentally, emotionally as well into your, into your practice. And, also, I mean, you're doing that with three kids. So where, <laughs> how do you approach your running? Do you approach your running 
from a space of like, hey, this is something that I do this because I enjoy it, or is this more because you're competitive? It's like, no, this is a competitive streak thing. I'm, I'm gonna, I want to succeed. God damn it, you know, I'm gonna, gonna get this done. <laughs> you know, how do you how do you approach running generally? Not obviously, every day is different, right? We, we've all had good yeah. days and bad days, but generally, how do you approach it? Um, at this point, because I've been doing it so long, it's just part of me. I feel like if if I go. Uh, you know, too long without running or even just being active, you know, you just feel different, at least for me, I'm not as, you know, peppy, that kind of thing. And and so it's just kind of part of who I am of my identity at this point. And most of the time, the running is the one time in my day that I don't have a responsibility. I don't have a phone in my face or an email or something pinging or people asking me something or people asking me to cook them food because they're hungry or <laughs> who knows, you know, what my kids are going to ask. But so it's, it's like a, my safe space where I get to be me. I get to be quiet. If I don't want to talk to anybody, I get to chat my running partner's ears off. If I feel like you know, having a therapy session, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's all of that. And like you said, every day is different. Um, but it's, I really do feel like it's just kind of part of who I am now at this point in my life. Right. And in, I think it was a post a couple months ago, you talked about um, how running worked with your, kind of within your first marriage and just how, mm -hmm. um, how exercise and um, how just the way the marriage had been shaped and how it had basically become almost a negative in some ways. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, I, I, um, married this guy. Um, we dated a little bit when I was in middle school and then we dated for several years through high school and college. So, um, I would say he was a high school sweetheart for sure. And, um, things weren't like terrible when we were dating um but the writing was on the wall I think if I had been a little bit braver I would have um called it off but I, I didn't um and when we got married things really kind of changed he changed a little bit um or a lot I should say and so he was extremely controlling um he, he was not physically abusive, but he was verbally and emotionally abusive and controlled everything. Like if I got a 96 on a test, I was basically lectured for, you know, hours sometimes. But why didn't you get 100? How come you're not doing better? Um, he controlled what I ate. And if I had something that he thought really needed to be burned off, he would say, you know, you, you need to go, you need to go out. And so running was his method or his um, exercise of choice, if you will. Um, because in his mind, runners were always, you know, rail thin, rail thin, stick skinny, all of that. Um, and so that's really why I stopped running when I, when I find, when things just got so bad and I finally said, okay, enough is enough. This is not right. And you're not changing. And I'm, I'm better than this. Um, I left. And so it was my, I went the complete opposite direction. I ate what I wanted. I didn't gain weight, but I wasn't really healthy. I would say I didn't exercise. I didn't do a whole lot of that at at all, um, you know, as my way of kind of reclaiming my independence, if you will. Um, you know, I cut my hair, I got a tattoo, I got like, it was kind of went a little, again, to the complete other end. Um, and so to be able to, to run now, because I choose to, and because I get to, and not because I'm forced to, or because I have to in order to be able to eat that day. Um, it's, it is empowering. It's something that I feel um, very strong to be able to do that. And I, I wish I had had that strength 20 years ago. Um, but I guess the, you know, the important thing is have it now. And I know, I feel like I learned a lot from that experience. I know certain things to, to look for so that my daughter doesn't have to go through anything like that ever in her life. 
And what are some of those things um, that you're thinking about right now that you learned that you, know, you would pass on to somebody if you saw them maybe heading down a path that you, you, you yourself walked 20 years ago? Um, well, I would say the first one is love isn't dependent on your physical characteristics. It's about who you are inside. So you can, you know, be, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what weight you are or, or anything like that. If someone is trying to control your appearance um, in any, any way, it, no, that's not, that's not okay. It's only going to get worse. <laughs> um, and then just being able to really recognize the, the treasure that she is as a person and that we all are as people and not that this person is, you know, a, for lack of a better word, a, a trophy on my arm kind of thing. You know, you're, you're a person, you need to be loved and valued and respected as you are. And if they try to change that, that's a huge red flag. That's, that's huge to me. And that's like, nope, that, that's, that's it. We're not, we're not changing for anybody else unless you, unless you yourself want to change, then great, go for it, do it. But don't change because somebody else is telling you, you need to, or you should, or in order to be with them, you need to be this way. Yeah. And for you, how did it get to the point where you were able to make those realizations? You know, was that, um, you know, was it through, you know, talking to people, getting, you know, is it therapy or you have, you know, different people that you lean on for support? Obviously, that's kind of on your part, unfortunately, kind of hard won knowledge that you learned after the fact. But what was the process by which you ended up um, learning all of that and getting to the point now where um, you know, you're, you're living a life that you that you're choosing to live? Well, I think, you know, back then a lot of it had to do with maturity. I was 20 when we got married. And um, I mean, not that you really grow up a whole lot in two years, but I think that, you know, kind of getting ready. I was in graduate school, going in the, in the quote unquote real world and working with other people and kind of seeing like, oh, no one else lives like this. No one else is dealing with this. And my girlfriends, when, you know, we were in grad school, very close, they would say the same kind of thing. Like, Melissa, this is not, this is not normal. This is not okay. Um, and just kind of, you know, talking with them about it and seeing that no matter how hard I tried and no matter what I did, it was never good enough. Nothing was ever good enough. Even if I said, okay, I went through all the checklists in my head. Everything is perfect. Everything is great. You know, there's nothing he can get upset about me with. And yet he still found something. Then it was like, okay, that's, that's it. Um, and my, my mother would always say growing up and I should have, again, listened to her to begin with, you know, marry someone like your father, you need to find someone like this man. And my ex was not <laughs> at all. Um, and so I think that, you know, you, you learn as you go through, but I think age and, and maturation and just kind of seeing again, other people and how they were living. And it was the polar opposite of how I was. Right. And when you get stuck in those types of relationships, oftentimes it just becomes this cycle of dependence in a way, right? Cause you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're trying to conform to receive, you know, the, the praise or, um, you know, the understanding from the other person by not getting it, you just kind of keep going down, you know, around and around, you know, and then it became a cycle mm -hmm. where you, it's easy to get isolated and, and things like that. So it sounds like a, for you, community has always been a pretty big part of your life. Even now, you, you know, you, shoot, oh, even yeah. though you're waking up at 4am, you're still finding people to work out with. I don't know what kind of text messages you're sending to these people, conjoling them out of bed, but <laughs> right <laughs> be there or <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so you know so, but i think that it also brings up a good point i mean not a good point but something i want to talk about is the, your your journey back to running right because obviously you you love working out it's something that you really enjoy you wouldn't have run multiple marathons if you didn't <laughs> so i'm just curious as to how running um in your mind transformed from something that obviously had a negative stigma attached to it um, to something that didn't and why you decided to pursue running as opposed to shoot any other way of exercising. 
Well, um, I think because running was so hard in the beginning and maybe subconsciously even because that was what I was forced to do now it's cause I, I think of that frequently on, on runs or, you know, I'm a, I'm a big dates person. So I remember dates and I'll think like, Oh, I remember this happened on this holiday or whatever. And I'm going to go run because I can not because somebody's telling me to. So maybe even subconsciously that had something to do with it as well. Um, but I, I like the, the freedom and the feeling of just kind of being out there and losing yourself in a long run. And I know sometimes that long runs can be, you know, draining and all of that. But most of the time, I find them to just be like, man, I just did that. I crushed that. That's, a, that's amazing. You know, I feel great. And most people that I'm looking at in their houses are, you know, kind of just now crawling out of bed, getting their coffee. And I just ran 14 miles like this is awesome. Um, and so I, I liked that. I liked the community aspect of it. Once I found people, um, I didn't know that there was such a thing as a, a running community when I first started. But um, the, the couple of girls that I had been running with when we joined our local running club and I met so many other people, that kept me coming back. Like this, these people are amazing. They are, you know, selfless and uplifting and they're, you know, strong and they're helpful and they're loving and all of these things that our running community is. And it just was like, I want to be around these people <laughs> more. <laughs> and so I just kind of kept, kept going back. And so running turned into a very positive thing. I was feeling stronger. I was feeling empowered. I was making friends. Some of my, I mean, some of my closest friends to this day are people that I met through that running club. So I think that, that that's, you know, a big reason as to why. Well, shoot, Melissa, you're, you have two jobs. You're a mother of three. You don't have time to make friends, <laughs> right? If you don't multitask with your running, you're, you're not going to meet anyone. <laughs> There's no socializing. <laughs> no, exactly. I, all the parents out there know, know what I mean. It's like, now it's like, if you don't see a friend for six months, you're like, oh, shoot, I think I just, I feel like I just saw you. Yeah. This is great. Um, exactly. And, um, Anyway, so you're you're a very healthy person. You have the nutrition business as well. And one thing that I thought was um, was unique is going back to the 2015 Marine Corps Marathon. Uh, you wrote that two months before the race, you completely changed your nutrition. And mm -hmm. um, first of all, changing your nutrition and sticking with it is hard for anybody uh, at any time. Never mind in the throes of marathon training yeah. when you're just hungry all the time for any food, usually the least, um, you know, the, the least nutritious, um, as we've all, we've all experienced before. And the fact that you did it, you know, too, you know, pretty close to a race, which is, yeah. you know, for you, it's not like if you were an experienced marathoner at that point. So that was kind of brave. So for you, what precipitated that change and what did you change from, and what did you change to? So I, I was kind of like a, a protein shake junkie. I've tried like everything and um, nothing was ever really like terrible, but nothing was ever, you know, life changing. It was just kind of, yeah, that's it. That's fine. It's a shake, whatever. Um, and so, but what ended up happening was like, I, I've tried, I do try to be healthy. And even back then I was trying to be healthy, but I was completely dependent on sugar and caffeine to get through the day, you know, waking up so early, running, working, all of this. Um, and yet I wouldn't let my children have sodas and all of that kind of stuff. And when, Oh, you're, you're, point... you're telling my story right now, Melissa. <laughs> It's amazing. Uh-oh, you might want to close your ears. <laughs> <laughs> so one day they, they said, oh, do we need to go by and get you a Dr. Pepper before soccer? And I was like, oh, my gosh, if my kids are asking if we have to make, like, the daily trip to the gas station to get a soda, and yet I'm not letting them do that again. It's that whole you got to walk the walk here and be the example for them. I said, okay, I got to do something. And my friend had been talking about her nutrition and how great it was. And, and I said, Oh, okay. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready to try it. And little did I know it would have a, such a drastic impact on my running performance. My whole goal was to break my sugar and caffeine addictions. <laughs> and then 
what ended up happening at that point, I was a pace group leader for our running club and um, my running just totally took off. I, I mean, within like 10 days, I, it was, I was doing paces I had never done. Um, I was having to double back to make sure that I didn't get far ahead of the group. And um, so Marine Corps was two months after the fact. And so at this point, I kind of was like, okay, let me see what I can do in this race. And I did set a, a, a PR. I set a 12 minute PR there, but I knew that I could have done better because the first 16 miles and the start of the race was like, we were still outside the, um, the metal detectors when the race started because it was raining and the detectors were malfunctioning. It was just like a whole snowball effect. We started like 30 minutes after the gun time. And so we had to like weave through people. It was just crazy for 16 miles. And then it kind of opened up and I could just let loose. And um, I felt so good. Like everybody talks about the bridge on Marine Corps. And I like charged that thing, like nobody's business ran through crystal city, a high fiving and everybody else is like tanking. And I, I thought, wow, this is, this is amazing. If you did this, what can you do if you like really put your mind to it? So, so yeah, that was, that was when I kind of went, Oh, <laughs> you got more in you and I have a feeling <laughs> it's because of this nutrition that everything changed. <laughs> well, let's, well, let's break it down. Like what, what were you eating at? Like what, what were you eating when you first made the shift? Um, and then we can talk about how that's evolved after that. So the, like, again, I was having protein shakes in the morning, various, various ones. Um, and then, I would have maybe another one at some point in the day because you're absolutely right. Marathon training hunger is real. And there I still even, you know, now get to like 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, okay, I've already had my mid-morning snack and my lunch. And I know I'm going to be hungry again in two hours. Um, but I was, you know, I did clean it up. I was still eating, you know, as like whole foods and stuff. But I was that sugar and caffeine was a, a big problem. Um and so what, end, what I ended up doing was switching. And then, so the protein shakes are different. They're made a little bit different. I, I upped my protein intake because of that. And then I also, I cut out caffeine and sugar for a while. I have added caffeine back in, in small amounts now. Um, and I, I have sugar, but not, not like I was. I don't have ice cream every night. I don't have candy bars all the time, that kind of thing. It's every now and then. Um, and then I started doing intermittent fasting, which allows, which honestly, before I started this, I thought that sounds like a horrible idea. Who would ever want to do that? Um, but you feel amazing. And my, my running, like I said, just kind of totally took off. And when you see results, you're motivated to stick with it. And so that's, that's why I've continued almost three years later that, you know, I still do the same stuff and I'm still seeing gains and changes, even though I'm getting older. <laughs> Which no what? One likes to admit. You're getting older. <laughs> like, no, no one else is getting, no, we're all, we're all staying just 23. I'm still 23. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. Exactly. Um, so, so that you bring up a good point. First of all, with the protein shakes is that that's something that really, people really have to pay attention to in terms of the makeup. Because they're, you know, not all protein shakes are the same, and not saying that they're all bad either. Um, but there could be a ton of sugar in protein shakes. Yes, yes, and artificial ingredients and additives and all of that. And it's just, it wasn't something that I paid attention to um, until I started seeing changes. Because every other, you know, protein shake or bar for me at that point, they'd all kind of been the same. They tasted different, whatever, but they didn't have a result for me. Um, and I did it because everyone said, oh, you're, you know, you're training, you're running these miles, you, you need to be drinking protein shakes, you need to be having, you know, more protein, blood BCAAs and all this stuff, which is absolutely true. But it wasn't making any kind of a difference for me. In fact, I know, I'm, and this is common anyways, but I know for my first few marathons, I gained weight and, I, you know, that wasn't helping my performance at all. <laughs> I did. I did too. I did too. I was like, I was like the sugar king in my office. I would eat every single like 
snack bowl on everyone's desk when I was training for marathons. I was just constantly yeah. eating sugar. And I gained three pounds during each marathon training I did. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, and then you go out and you're like, I want to, I want to run fast. <laughs> and your body's like, um, no, that's not happening. <laughs> At least for me. And I mean, my fuel, I can't do like goos and gels. I just, I can't stomach that. I never have been able to. And so I was fueling with gummy bears. That's, that was oh my, my new, quote unquote nutrition for my first marathon. And I was like, oh, this is again, not good. You've got to figure something out. <laughs> and what is your, what is your intermittent fasting look like? Like how, how, how often do you do it? And when you do do it, how many hours do you go and and what time of day? So it varies because being an early morning runner, um, trying to do an intermittent fast and then run in the morning can be, um, really challenging. So what I found worked really well for me this past training cycle was I had tougher runs on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I do those and then I would refuel like a champ. I mean, I was eating and drinking and all of that until about noon. And then I would start my fast or we, we also call it a cleanse because you're then taking in a juice that has a whole bunch of botanicals and it's not like a GI cleanse. You're not stuck in the bathroom or anything like that. People hear the word cleanse and they're like, whoa, stay away. <laughs> um, but it's not like that. So so then you fast from or I would fast from about noonish on Tuesday until about noonish on Wednesday. And sometimes I'd still be able to do some light strength training Wednesday mornings. Um, and then I would eat again Wednesday afternoon, evening and be refueled for my Thursday run. So, but there's a lot people, it's very flexible. So what works for me in a training cycle may be totally different than what somebody else does. Um, and then even after Boston, it helps with recovery. So I was, I was pretty beat up. I'll be honest with you. Um, and so I cleansed. Thursday and Friday. And by Friday morning, I woke up, I had no soreness. I was going up and down stairs, like nobody's business. It's like, it's just, it, it sounds too good to be true until you actually live it. Um, because it, it just has so many good properties for you. And I mean, intermittent fasting has been around for, I mean, hundreds of years. Um, it's just, this is a nutrient supported fast so that you don't have a blood sugar crash. You can, still work you know you're not in a mental fog or anything like that so um yeah I I still do it I I love it (laughs) it works (laughs) that's great so so when you're in your training cycle what were what would you say were the biggest um the biggest benefits of it because I don't know I mean I know what it is but I haven't had many conversations with people about it So the biggest benefits to me as an athlete are the recovery because it allows your body, your digestion gets a reset, your gut gets a reset, your HGH gets boosted. Um, So all of those things working, you're, you're flushing out. I mean, as an athlete, again, you're breaking down your muscle day after day after day. So getting that chance once a week to, really rebuild and repair, get rid of all those broken down cells and all of that. Um, The recovery was just huge. Um, But just as a person, it helps with mental fog and clarity. Um, It helps me just kind of feel better. Um, I know that's kind of very generic, but that's the best way to describe it. I just feel better. I feel happier. Um, and again, most people that are like, wait, so not eating for 24 hours and you feel better. I'm like, yeah, you, you do. Yep. <laughs> um, I mean, that's the, that's the not- question I was just about to pose. I'd be like, if, if I didn't <laughs> eat for 24 hours, I would be feeling the opposite of better. Yeah. Everyone's like, no, I'd be, I'd be hangry. I'd be horrible. But you, I mean, maybe the first couple times that you cleanse, cause your body's not used to it, but then you get in that pattern and you actually, at least for me and most people that I work with, you get to the point where you feel like I need it. I'm feeling sluggish. I'm feeling a little tired. I'm not recovering as fast from my workouts. I need a cleanse. Um, and so you, you start to recognize that. And to me, that's a, that's a good thing because you, you become really in tune with your body, um, which I was not before. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take it. And you seem very in tune with what you put in and on your body. 
I know the, I saw your IG stories today. We don't have to get into it. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, you, you know, you make your own deodorant. Like, you're, you, you're very, you know, tied into what you're putting um, in your body from a nutrition standpoint, um, which is all, which is all obviously um, very commendable. And it, it takes a lot of time. That's for sure. So I, I, I can certainly appreciate <laughs> the time and effort that goes into it. Um, and I want to talk a lot about Boston as well. So this year, so obviously, yeah. um, you were at Boston, Mar- you Boston Marathon, you finished. Congratulations. Uh, anyone who ran Thank that you. race, huge props to anyone who ran it. And, and to finish, uh, given the conditions, really is, is something else. And, and you had you had a great buildup. I, I could not have been happier with this training cycle. I... I loved it. I was nervous looking at everything on paper going, okay, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'm going to make it happen. Um, But I was, you know, worried about, as anybody is, I think entering a training cycle, worrying about injury, worrying about, you know, life getting in the way, but it went phenomenal. It really and truly did. And then not only do you have the running component, but you're, uh, I know every Monday morning you had your, your strength component as well. And what, you, you you do the strength part, and then again, we we you said the name to me before we even started recording, and I've already forgotten it already. Uh, is it bar? Bar, okay, yes, yeah. bar so, three. Yes, yeah, uh-huh. so you do you do lifting and you do bar three. So how did how did that um, how did the strength and body work complement the running for you? So I noticed um, probably a few training cycles ago when I added in strength and core and some flexibility and mobility kind of work, I performed much better. My running was stronger. I was not feeling little aches and pains and things that you kind of go, uh-oh, is this turning into something? Um, and so I really, to me, that was really motivating. Like, okay, if you work to be stronger and build those tiny little muscles that are helping your big muscles run, you're going to, you know, avoid injury, which I mean, again, you talk to any runner and that's our, like our biggest fear and we ignore it. No, I'm not injured. I'm going to run anyways, you know? Um, And so that was, that was super, super important. And I, I added in bar just at the start of this training cycle, because um, a good friend of mine is a member at our studio here and another friend owns the studio. And I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. And it was so challenging and I was sweating buckets. And I, I looked at my friend and she even said like, yeah, 26 miles isn't so hard now, huh? And I was like, well, <laughs> maybe, but let's not, let's not go there right now. But it, it builds those, all those smaller muscles and really working like your glutes, which was something I had a hard time with in Chicago, um, which was my marathon, my last marathon. And it just, um, you know, all of those things. So it was just very motivating to me to stay on track with all of that and make sure I avoided injury as I built mileage. Right. Cause it's so interesting to me, the people who, who, who do bar and, and things of that, of that sort, um, because you feel like, all right, well, you're already running, right. You're already putting in 50. What do you top out? 63 miles. Yeah. 63 week? was my highest. Yeah. Um, and so you're already, you're already doing a lot with your body, right? Especially your lower body. And then you throw in the, the strength component. It's so interesting that you can get a athletic benefit from this other thing, which on its face, again, I, as a naive observer, doesn't seem to be as taxing as these other things you're doing. But it's amazing that it has such a benefit. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it depends on, what it is you're doing. Like there were definitely strength days that I walked out going, Oh, that wasn't so bad. And then there were ones that I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to lift my arms today. Um, and bar is the same way. You know, you kind of look at, especially the instructors that are up there just killing it and you go, that doesn't look too hard. And then you get in and all of a sudden these little tiny little movements, but you do, you know, what feels like 10,000 of them. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, just stop it. Kill me now. I'm done. Um, and that really was eye opening to me, like, okay, you can't do these small little itty bitty movements like you think you can, you know, and I think sometimes as marathoners too, we kind of get it in our head, like, oh, I can run a marathon, I can do anything, you know, whatever. Um, and so it kind of, you know, sets you straight, knocks you back on that, that humble pie there a little bit, like, no, you can't, and you need to work on this. <laughs> 
There you go. That's a great way of putting it. All right. So leading into the race. All right. So let's go maybe 36, 48 hours before the race starts. What were Mm. some of the things that you were doing um, from a mental preparation to kind of get yourself ready to run the marathon? At this point, you're an experienced marathoner, but to get ready for for this one, knowing what the weather conditions were going to be and knowing that, you know, you want to make sure that you stay in the moment and not be obsessed with what's going on around you. Well, I had started listening to an audiobook called Beyond Grit. Um, and the author's name is totally escaping me right now, but she's, uh, I think I want to say like Syndra, Dr. Syndra something. Um, but Um, it was so helpful. And she talked about mindset and mantras and power phrases and, um, you know, controlling what you can control and, you know, remembering that you're all in the same boat. So I just kind of had all of that on repeat. Um, And I always have some type of mantra going into a training cycle and all of that. But she talked about also having, you know, power phrases that as soon as a negative thought comes into your mind, you replace it with that power phrase. And, Um, So I really was focused on that. Like, Melissa, you can't control the weather, but you do know that you had a totally strong training cycle. You are as fit and as strong as you can be. And so those became my, my power phrases. You know, I am strong, I am fit, I am fast. Um, And I really just focused on that. Like, no, you may not hit your time goal because, you know, 30 mile an hour winds sustained it's going to have some impact here, but you're still going to go out and give it all that you have. I'm also not the kind of person to be like, oh, well, you know, the weather's not so great. So I'll just go out and run for fun. Like I'm going to do it as, you know, as to the best of my ability until my body says, no, we can't do it anymore. Um, and so I just kind of had that going in my head and any time that I had a a negative thought or if I read something negative about it, I just, it was a switch. I was like, no, we're not, we're not focusing on that. We're focusing on you're here, you're in Boston. You're about ready to run this amazing race. It's going to be a joyful experience no matter what. And you're going to go out and you're going to do the best that you can for as long as you can. So that's kind of where my mind was. (laughs) Yeah, and you've, and you've spoken about your competitiveness uh, several times. And during the race, obviously, your goal was like, extinguished before the race even started, right? For everybody, mm-hmm. everyone's goals that they maybe use during their training cycle, they knew that those were all out the window. Uh, and some people yeah. either came up with new goals or new things to think about. So did you come up with something to be competitive about during the race or maybe at different points within the race? Um, no, I wouldn't say competitive, which is kind of weird. Um, for me, at least what I focused on was really, I, I've always said I wanted Boston. I wanted to take it all in. I didn't want to get so caught up in a time, even though I was training for a time and aiming for a target, I didn't want to become encompassed with that, that I missed the race experience. So I made a point to look up and look at the the sea of runners in front of me. I, I pray when I run, I made a point to pray for people. I, um, I thought about my kids and my husband that was there. I just kind of took it in when I could, because there were certain points, you know, when the rain and the wind were coming and you just had to barrel your head down and just make sure you were, you know, on the road and not going to fall. Um, but I, I just kind of had those, those thoughts and things in my head and, and I wanted to be just happy and and celebrate it. And it's funny, a couple of the pictures that my husband, um, my husband and my friend Julie took of me, I'm like, you know, my arms are up in the air, I'm freaking out, happy. And, 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 um, several people made comments like everybody else looks so miserable. And there's Melissa having a party in the middle of the road. (laughs) Like, well, that's good. That's what I wanted. Cause it really wasn't until like mile 24, that I kind of went in the zone and, and put the blinders on and just said, okay, go, go as fast as you can. Because I also, I was not, I was watching my watch, but I wasn't t- obsessed with it. I wasn't really doing it like, you know, math wise, like, oh, you hit this mile at this marker, you know, cause again, the time kind of went out the window. Um, I was, I would say my body was just kind of on autopilot, but when I got to mile 24, I started thinking, okay, but wait, wait, 
you actually might be in your BQ range. If you, if you book it, you actually might do it again. And so that those last two miles were really, I would say not competitive, but just more focused on, on me, like go, you're not stopping, you're not walking, you're not focusing on, on the kind of everybody else. That's, there were a lot of people kind of falling apart at that point in the race. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not focused on that. I'm, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, and I'm not thinking of anything else. Now, if we could talk a little bit about how you pray during your running, I, I, I think this is an interesting point. Cause I want to see if you, do you have, do you feel, I should say an immediate or, or some effect when you do that? Like when you, when you are in prayer or after you've done prayer? Yeah, I feel like it takes my thoughts off of me. And especially when you're racing, you're, you're in pain, especially towards the last part of the race. Um, and, you know, you, it, it's easy to let that pain kind of overcome you. And, and if I pray for people and think about, you know, my friend that's battling cancer, I think about my friend that is dealing with, you know, a tough custody situation, things like that it, your mind shifts. And so your body just kind of keeps going, but you're not thinking about really the pain or the wet shoes or the whatever it is that you're dealing with at that moment, you're thinking about them. Um, and so for me, it's just kind of this, I'm, I know people say, Oh, that's so amazing. But I always say it's kind of almost selfish in a way, because yes, I'm praying for you and I'm hoping that, you know, good things happen in your situation, but I'm also doing it because it really does take the focus off of me. My mind goes to someone else and I can kind of perform better in a way. Um, but it's, it's also just kind of my way to really hopefully, um, you know, give back to those relationships and those friendships um, when, you know, I think it's easy in today's society to say, oh, thoughts and prayers, and then not actually give thoughts or prayers. Um, and so I, I find that I'm able to stay focused also, <laughs> and, you know, when you're out there running for so long, then you really can spend some, some really, um, you know, reflective time in prayer for people that, that may want it. So I've been doing that for a few years where I'll put a call out, you know, on, on social media and say, if anybody wants me to pray for something specific, you can send it to me. If not, then just let me know to pray for you. And I, I will do it. Some people now will even say, pray for me at this mile and I, I'll do it. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of become part of my, my racing and running process. I read the, uh, I shouldn't say I read, I listened to Dina Castor's um, book that just came out uh, over the, over the course of the past week. And she says something very similar in terms of um, the performance boosting benefits of being mindful of others as opposed to herself while she's running. She may even say prayer at different points and other points she talks about just being mindful and, and, you know, very specific about you know mm -hmm. her intentional thought towards other people and just how like you said like it's you know it, it, it can have multiple benefits it can't just be simply um about the other person like there's obviously um you know you said you said selfish benefits and i think that's probably being a little too harsh on yourself but it definitely <laughs> has you know it has as is mutually it's, it's mutually beneficial um, there you go that's better <laughs> and um you know so it, it is really interesting because you can you know it's easy to to spiral if you're not feeling well and you're just focusing on yourself, right? Cause mm -hmm. if you're focusing on yourself and you feel bad at the moment, how do you then be positive? Right. It's, it's, yeah. it's a, that, that's kind of a hard, a hard nut to crack. So that certainly it's understandable. And this also ties into something else, which I want to bring up really quick, which I think you are one of, I think you're the only person I've ever heard or ever seen type this sentence, which is that your dad is a priest. Which is, I, yes. I was like, wait, hold on. You know, I work at a Catholic college. I think I know what this means, but you know, it was very interesting. So uh, you did put that in a post. So I was curious what exactly, uh, what's the story behind that? Yeah. So um, my dad was not always a priest, but um, he 
when I was in second grade, he got the calling to go to seminary. And so we lived in Pittsburgh for three years when I was in third, fourth and fifth grade. And um, he went to an Episcopalian seminary up there. And so Episcopalian is very similar to Catholic, but their priests can get married and um, we don't have nuns and that that kind of stuff um, at a very global um, difference level there. And so he's, he was Episcopalian priest for many years. And then just within the last few, he converted over to Anglican, which is similar to Episcopalian, but they still use the same terminology. I know he's still called Father Andy and, you know, a priest. But yeah, people always kind of go, wait, what? Your dad's a what? <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was exactly what was going on in my mind. I remember, I remember <laughs> I was reading it and I was reading that post in a Starbucks and I think people around me were like, what's going on over there? I was like, wait, I don't <laughs> understand what's happening. Um, so, well, Melissa, thank you so much for, for all of your time. We've been doing this for shoot almost an hour now. Uh, you're a busy lady. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. This was a blast. Oh, I'm so glad you think so. And if someone is interested in following your running journey, what's the best way they can do so? So the best way is going to be on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Isa Marathoner. It reads like is a marathoner. I'll answer to either. (laughs) Um, And so I try to post on there daily all about training and life and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I would say if you're listening to this and you're not following Melissa, you should. Because not only is it fun to follow your running, but you share a lot of stuff on IG stories too. So uh, I learned new things. Um, I'm not going to be making my own deodorant. No offense, <laughs> but I thought that was very interesting. Um, so that's for sure. So, you and my husband both. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but I know now that you could scent it with lavender essential oils. So now you know that I listen to it. So, um, And you know what I smell like when I run? Lavender. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I smell significantly worse than lavender. Um, but again, thank you, Melissa. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Melissa, for coming on the show. I really had a great time uh, talking with you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. It is greatly appreciated. And if you like what you heard, please give me a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you happen to hear this show. It really is appreciated. Uh, And no matter what, thank you so much for listening. And happy running.